Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is the March 19th episode. We are in Exodus, John, Proverbs. Okay, so Exodus, we're starting in chapter 24. Yes. Okay, let me just read this one little thing in Exodus 24. Then they climbed the mountain, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and saw the God of Israel. He was standing on a pavement of something like sapphires, pure, clear sky blue. He didn't hurt these pillar leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and they drank. Yep. I was like, whoa. I vaguely remember having this conversation with you last year. Yeah, I have no recollection, but I was like, we surely did not miss that. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I mean, that, do you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of Revelation and right. like all of the descriptions of the New Jerusalem and the sapphires yeah. and the, I mean, it's, the it's pillars. so. Can you say that part again with the pillars? He called them pillar leaders because they took 70 of the elders of Israel with Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and he didn't hurt these pillar leaders of the Israelites. I wonder whether that is... Mine says chief men. Yeah. I wonder if that's one of the translations for pillar. The reason I'm even asking is because in the New Jerusalem with the temple, it talks about how the foundation of the temple will have written the 12 tribes of Jacob. And then it says that the doors or the gates will have the names of the 12 disciples on them. Mm -hmm. So it kind of just made me like, it was like, oh, is this another part of the structure of the temple? Like, will these be the pillars? Oh, yeah. I don't, obviously, I'm totally leaping, but, you know, something to think about. Yeah. God is giving Moses instructions on how to build this tabernacle that he's going to dwell in, in 25 and 26 Mm -hmm. and 27 (laughs) and 28. Anyway, so yeah, he's giving them all of these instructions. And what is he telling them? What is he telling him to build, basically? His dwelling. A place where they can experience God, the living God. Like he's going to come and be with them and be the living God where they can experience the living God. What are they doing at the bottom of the mountain right now? Right. Like all of these like precious things, like these precious stones that like they're even like the sapphire, they're talking about this description of being in God's presence. And then God is telling them that he wants them to take all of their most prized possessions to create this dwelling place for him mm-hmm. so that the living God can actually dwell in this place. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing is they're taking all of their prized possessions right now and throwing them into a fire to create a golden calf right. that is right. nothing but a golden calf. Like that's just the, the dichotomy between what's happening here in all of this time that God's taking with them on this precious place. Yeah. And the fact that God doesn't just pour down fire from heaven at that, you know what I mean? Like it's one of the prophets where it's like, but because I'm God, I had mercy. Yes. Because in our human nature, the response would just be fury. Right. No. Done with you. Yeah. Okay. So here is my thought and I kind of can't fully claim this. 
my thoughts on the temple place. So I read these chapters about building the temple on Sunday morning. And then my pastor preached, he just finished preaching through Ephesians and he did this whole wrap up, like kind of just almost like he just paraphrased paraphrased the whole book on Sunday. And so one of the things he was talking about, he kind of went back to the beginning of Ephesians and I'm looking back at the verses that he was talking about. He drew the correlation between this detailed description of how God called Moses and the Israelites to build the temple and all of the ways that it was put together and how specific it was for his dwelling place. And now his dwelling, yes, the tabernacle, sorry. Mm -hmm. And now his dwelling place is the church. I'm not going to articulate this nearly as well, but if we think through how intricate God's plans were for the tabernacle and then look at the church, like we look at the church as like this kind of broken mess of humanity, which it is gross to us. Yeah. Right. And yet God's like, no, no, no. I am choosing to place my spirit within you and you are my tabernacle. Yes. And the way that, the way that he has planned for that to work together, obviously there still is broken humanity involved, but I've been just chewing on that for a while. Like, yes, I will never forget when somebody told me I was complaining about the church. I was say I was basically talking about it like you're describing in this like it's we're so disappointing. We're so like just kind of this like bad mouthing the church basically. And this person was mm-hmm. like, "That's Christ's bride, and he's yeah. jealous for her, and he loves yes. her. Don't bad mouth Christ's bride." And I was like, "Whoa." It was a total appropriate chastisement. Actually, it wasn't even with that tone, but it could have been with that tone. It w- it's that deserved, you know, to be like, you're talking about Christ's bride. You know that, right? Right. You know how Christ feels about his bride? He doesn't really like it when people badmouth his bride. Yeah. And it's the same, like we're talking about how God, God's up here on the mountain with Moses, giving him all of these specific instructions and the people are down at the foot of the mountain, just being complete idiots. Mm-hmm. And it's the same. I mean, God still chooses to work through Israel. He knows they're going to build a golden calf. Like he's not, and he chooses to work through their brokenness to reveal himself to the world. Yes. End of story. And it's the same with the church. He chooses yes. to work through our brokenness to reveal himself to the world and all for his glory. Like it's not, that's why the church is, if we weren't broken, we would be getting the glory. You know what I mean? Because we're human and we're total train wrecks. Like that glory goes back to God because we can't take credit for it. Because somehow he can make it beautiful. Somehow he can turn it into something beautiful. And yeah. So something beautiful that we can see, eventually we're going to see how beautiful it is, but he sees it now for what it's going mm-hmm. to be, which is like, mm-hmm. it's that promise. We should be living in that promise. We should be walking the mm-hmm. length and breadth of the land that he's promised us, even though we aren't living mm-hmm. it in its reality right now. I can't decide which direction to go right now, because I want to talk about what you were talking about in like the intricacy of the tabernacle and how it represents us as the church, because I have something related to that, but I also kind of want to talk about the bridegroom the bride and the bridegroom, because in John, Jesus talks about the bride and the bridegroom. You know what I'm talking about? In John 3, he's talking about the bridegroom in relation to like um, 
It's John the Baptist. He's the mm-hmm. one that's talking. Yes, yeah. John the Baptist is talking about, um, he's pointing them to Christ and he's basically like, why would I in any way be sad that yes. Jesus is doing this baptism work when he is, he's the groom. I'm standing beside him, just super excited about his day. Mm-hmm. Like he's, mm-hmm. and, and he's talking about the church. Like he's talking about Jesus is so excited about these people that are coming to him. And John is like, it's happening. It says everything about that deferential position of Abram to Lot, but like, just mm-hmm. for- I was going to say, this totally goes back to our other conversation about there's space, there's space. For- yeah, there's so much space. It's his work, not ours. Yeah. Yeah. But even in that, mm-hmm. like it, it really, he's, it's talking about John's focus is on his joy for the bridegroom. Yes. But all I saw in that passage was actually Jesus, the groom. And how excited he was about his mission and his, mm-hmm. this ma- this consummation of mm-hmm. this marriage that was about to take place between him and his mm-hmm. church. What a thrill. Like, it's the wedding yeah. day that he was waiting for. Like, how funny that it starts with a wedding. Mm-hmm. His entire ministry starts with a wedding miracle. Yep. I had never thought about that before. And that goes back to the the great story. God is such a good storyteller. All of those little pieces. So the going back then, because what that consummation of the marriage, it's going to be sealed and it's sealed with the Holy Spirit. When he puts mm-hmm. his Holy Spirit in us, that is when the two, we become one. Jesus and his church become one when the Holy Spirit comes and it dwells in us mm-hmm. individually, but really us as a church. Okay. So this is another thing along the same lines of the church and the tabernacle Yes. at the end of 29, starting in 42, this is to be your regular daily whole burnt offering before God, generation after generation sacrificed at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's where I'll meet you. That's where I'll speak with you. That's where I'll meet the Israelites at the place made holy by my glory. I'll make the tent of meeting and the altar holy. I'll make Aaron and his sons holy in order to serve me as priests. I'll move in and live with the Israelites. I'll be their God they'll realize that I am their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live with them. I am God, your God. His presence cannot dwell apart from holiness. Mm-hmm. There's so much wrapped up in what Christ did in his death and salvation. But the idea that we are made holy through salvation because we're set apart, we are holy because of Christ's righteousness. Otherwise, God can't send his spirit to dwell with us because... He requires holiness. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things, it's like this truth that we know in salvation that we kind of say the words and you know it, but when you sit with it and think about it, it. Yeah. You're literally, it's like you just said for the first time again, like I'm clean. I have to be clean or God's spirit can't dwell in me. Right. I'm clean. Oh my gosh. I'm clean. That's right. I am clean. Like that's what Jesus yeah. did. He made me clean. Like, right. Which is like, is it Paul that says like, like you are this. So walk this way. Like we yes. are clean. We are set apart. Colossians 2, 20, he said, Paul says, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? The reason that we still sin is because we forget who we are. We're so glad you're listening to the recap with us. We'll get back to this week's reading in just a moment. Did you know that we're studying four different Bible studies in the book of Genesis this year? We just wrapped up our first one about creation through Noah. The next one is beginning March 9th and 11th. 
Please come join us as we study the story of Abraham. We're going to look specifically at how the gospel is reflected in this great man of faith. We've made it easy for you to join in anytime. We have podcast recordings of every chapter we've covered on our network, so you can easily stay caught up. Come and see at divecollective.org. I think it's interesting that we go from Job to Proverbs. We skip Psalms. No, we skip Psalms. I didn't realize that last year. All right, for Proverbs, I think these first few chapters of Proverbs are some of my favorite because mm-hmm. it's actually interesting. I was re- I was working on writing that parenting Bible study that we're going to do in May. And I was just thinking through as we were reading Proverbs, I was like, these are, these were my favorite Bible verses when my kids were little. Yes. Interesting. It's all about like, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It goes along with, there's a passage in James that talks about that too. Like if you seek God's Mm -hmm. wisdom, like he cannot wait to dish it out Mm -hmm. in abundance. And I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life where I was so desperate for wisdom than when I was raising kids. (laughs) When you had little kids. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Nothing will make you feel like more of a failure than your, than your kids obeying. And a toddler not doing what they're told. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's a very humbling time in life for it sure. It is very humbling. Yeah. But he yeah, did. I think that's simple. what struck me in these first three chapters too, is how available wisdom is when we desire it. He just keeps saying, ask for wisdom, ask for wisdom. And it starts with the fear of God. Yes. Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. You know what that makes me think of is all we were talking about with Abram. Like how does Abram have such an obedient... Mm-hmm. Heart. How, how does he have a heart of such faith in the promise and awareness that nothing belongs to him? He's always worshiping. Like he's always, always setting up an altar. Mm-hmm. Of all, he's busy. He's a busy dude. He's moving tents and packing up people, and he's doing all kinds of things. But he finds time. Mm-hmm. The first thing that he does when he's it's a priority. Yeah. Yeah, because he worships God. I'm like. That's it. If I want more, I've got to, I have to worship more. Mm-hmm. I love that. And we can see so, I mean, no, he's not perfect. We talked about that before, but there's a lot of wisdom that we see in Abram and the way mm-hmm. he handles, especially that situation with Lot and a heart bowed down. What does yours say? I like the wording. Yeah, I liked it too. Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Mm-hmm. Mine says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think that's a picture. It's a great picture of the fear of the Lord, like a heart bowed mm-hmm. down, mm-hmm. acknowledging that he is El Elyon, creator and possessor of all the earth. Do you have anything else from Proverbs? Um, in Proverbs 3, I totally thought of Job. Um, this is the one that I was saying is like super trust in the Lord with all your heart, Proverbs three. Mm-hmm. Um, but towards the end of that section, I think it's probably in verse 12. It says, it's the child he loves that God corrects. A father's delight is behind all this. And mm-hmm. I was just thinking about Job's story and like my mind kind of went in a couple of different directions. The fact that we're made in the image of God as people and as people we feel and 
experience and thinking about when when Satan came to God at the beginning of Job and asked for permission basically to just wreck him. And yeah. God gave that permission, but I'm sure it grieved him. You know what I mean? Like there was an there was an aspect. God gives us permission, but like I wonder, I wonder if it hurt God's heart to allow Satan to wreck Job because he loved Job. But at the same time, like God knows the end and just how much delight, like when you've talked about, when we've talked in Job about the restoration, like when Job is restored, not at the end when he gets all his possessions back, but when he recognizes that God is God and the delight that God took in Job Mm -hmm. being restored. And, and then further than that, the delight that God took in physically restoring Job. Like I just have been thinking about God and how how God feels towards his people and that the things that he does for us, a father's delight is behind all of it. Yes. I love that so much. One of the things that Lisa Harper talks about is how the affliction that Job faced was a promotion. I love that one. Cause when you're talking about how God knew in advance, what was going to happen at the end of the affliction Mm -hmm. and that And what a delight that must have been to God to take Job from glory to glory. Job was already established as one of God's favorites. Like God was like, have you considered my servant Job? He's Mm -hmm. amazing, you know? And Satan's like, I'd like to prove that. And Mm -hmm. like, okay. And he knew at the beginning how bad it was going to be, but he also knew that at the end of the day, he was going to be even better. Job Mm -hmm. was already awesome. And God was like, he, I think he, you're right. I think he just delighted in what was going to become of Job mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. the affliction. So to think about that kind of thing as an, as a promotion that God's like, yes, he's great. And now he mm-hmm. will be better. That's good. I like that a lot. To be clear, like you said, I don't think we've said multiple times, God was not disciplining Job. Right. Verse kind of. Right. As that verse is, yeah, the Proverbs verse yeah. is we're about. To, yeah, you're right. But he does delight in our growth, our maturity. Mm-hmm. And there's still room. I think that's, that's kind of a little bit of what I feel like I've been experiencing too, is just this, I'm a mature believer. You know, that the fact of the matter is, is I've been walking with God for a long time and I have a lot of faith. There's just a part of me that's like, there's just, I, I don't even know right. anything yet. And so, yeah. Lord, don't leave me here. You know, it's kind of become right. a little bit like, I feel like the the road has become a little bit flat and the marathon's become a little bit easy and it's, I'm not growing when I'm, but like we said, you know, sometimes God's like, just take a nap, get ready, just take a nap, <laughs> take, just take a nap, take a nap because there will be more. There's mm-hmm. always more with me, which I feel like might be a good segue into John, even though it's kind of unrelated. Let's do it. Wait, let's see. John 3 through 9. This is another thing that I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't go back and trace. I think it would be a really cool study is it hit me this week, towards the end of the week, the sheer number of times that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. It's so often that it's kind of hard for it to not be intentional. You know what I mean? Like that Mm -hmm. Jesus is obviously disrupting what they think as far as that goes. And it just hit me at the end of our John reading, I think it's chapter nine when he heals the blind man who's been blind from birth. And once again, it's on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are freaking out again. 
And I just was thinking like, it's, it was so intentional. He did all of that on purpose to drive home his point that it's not, that's not what it's about. I'm not after the law. I'm after your hearts. That was one of the themes that I, I had never seen before. I mean, that's exactly right. John draws that out in a different, they all mention it. Mark and mm-hmm. all of them mention it, but there's something about the way that John, John is definitely driving home a different point mm-hmm. by highlighting it the way that Mark and Matthew and Luke do. That was one of the themes that I pulled out. And I was like, that's so interesting. The other theme that I pulled out that I was like, this is, I never saw this before is that Jesus, and I think it's going to be all through the rest of it. And I feel like this is going to be really obvious to you and probably to most people, but I have never seen the way that Jesus is saying the entire time. Like I do what my father tells me to do. And my, my, I am in my father. My father is in me. I do what my father tells me to do all everything that I'm doing is obedience to the father, my father, me, my father, me, my yeah. father, me, like, he's yeah. like, I am the son of God. Like, I can't. Right. And at one point in this week, everyone's like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. And then finally he says, I am who I am. There we go. Oh, this is one of the things that I loved when we were talking about Abram in chapter eight. They're they're having this conversation again. And it's kind of like what you were just talking about. Like he's saying, I and my father are one. And they're like confused about Abraham. They're like, well, Abraham's our father. And it's all this big confusing thing. But Jesus said, this is, this is related to Abraham and his the faith and the promise, but I loved the way that it's translated in here. It says, Abraham, your father, your father, in quotation marks, with jubilant faith, looked down the corridors of history and saw my day coming. He saw it and cheered. And just that like Abraham's faith in the promise, even his understanding of what the promise was, was so vague to us. And yet he looked down the corridors of time and saw Jesus coming. I love that. Uh, I know. But then after that, the Jews are like, wait, you're not even 50 years old and Abraham saw you. Like they just can't, this I am my father thing. And then Jesus says, believe me, I am who I am long before Abraham was anything. And then that makes them just kind of lose their minds because that is what God calls himself back in Exodus, right? Yes. But another thing kind of along those same lines, okay, in chapter eight, he's talking about, it's right after the woman where he, he writes in the ground where Pharisees condemn her. And he's like, I'm not going to condemn you because nobody else did. But then the next section after that, they're talking about the father thing again. And he explains it all. And it says in verse 27, they still didn't get it. They didn't realize that he was referring to the father. So Jesus tried again. And then he approaches it a different way. And I was just like, he, he, re- he realizes that we're dust. Like he's talking about all these things that should be because of their knowledge of the scripture, there should have been a connection for them to make. And yet they're still blind. Like the father hasn't revealed it fully to them. And yet Jesus is working. Jesus is doing the hard work of trying to get them to understand. And he just keeps trying. It's interesting to have just studied Abram and Melchizedek mm-hmm. and them talking about Abram and Jesus is Jesus says if you were Abraham's children you would be doing the works Abraham did but now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God this is not what Abraham did 
in my head, I'm thinking about Abraham with Melchizedek, which would have been a man sent from God Mm -hmm. that Abraham actually had a chance to talk to. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am he. Came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Just so interesting, like that they identify so strongly with Abraham and Jesus is like, we actually saw what Abraham did when the high priest came into his Mm -hmm. presence and you are not doing (laughs) what Abraham did when the high priest came in to your presence. Anyway, everything about Jesus and what he does in the New Testament sets everything upside down. He's really, really hard to understand, like you said, and he's tries so hard, like, like the whole purpose His entire purpose for coming was to reveal the father. God wanted so bad for us to know what he was like that he sent Jesus to show us. Mm -hmm. He's actually like, if you look at me, you're going to know your father. Yes. And, and he's trying to communicate that you're thinking in human terms and that's Mm -hmm. why you're not getting it. You can't think like you can't think in human terms. Like he's in um, eight Okay, so Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And the Pharisees say, all we have is your word on this. We need more than this to go on. And Jesus replied, you're right that you only have my word, but you can depend on it being true. I know where I've come from and where I go next. You don't know where I've come from or where I'm headed. You decided. You decide according to what you can see and touch. I don't make judgments like that. But even if I did, my judgment would be true because I wouldn't make it out of the narrowness of my experience, but in the largeness of the one who sent me, the Father. He's reasoning with them, but they're on a whole different plane. They're reasoning and they're human. And Jesus is trying to, (laughs) I mean, like, how hard would that be? Jesus, we've talked about like the God man before. He's trying to translate God's reason so human reason can understand it and it just doesn't connect fully. Yeah, exactly. And they're so focused on like something tangible. Like I think that kind of is wrapped up in like the father and the Abraham thing. Like Abraham is tangible. They mm-hmm. can trace their ancestry back to Abraham. And mm-hmm. so that is something that they can count on. Yes. I feel like there was so much more. I feel like I got, I feel like I got a lot more out of it, but I can't, I can't think of anything. I love in in chapter seven, it says, Jesus is is at the end of the feast. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me this way. Just as the scripture says. Thank you. He said this in regard to the spirit whom those who believed in him were about to receive. Yes. Yes. That was it. That was the highlight of the entire reading from John. Yep. Yeah. That I feel like kind of ties into that, our conversation we were having about like, this is who you are. Yes. Like you're children of God. So, so you're be holy because I am holy. You are holy. And live this, into it. Like it's almost right. it's again, still kind of like living into that promise. Like even when you don't feel like you have the love for genuine love for your brother, even when you don't feel like you're have the true marks of a Christian, live into the promise because you you mm-hmm. probably can't even see the, what, ha- what other people see when his glory is shining through you. Mm-hmm. Like that is the reality. Re- the reality is that he has filled us with his Holy spirit. And so out of that comes the marks of a true Christian, the genuine love, the kindness, the outdoing one another in honor and 
all of those things that like we just don't we don't feel but that's the promise that's all in us that's so good you already are so live it Mm -hmm. thanks for listening to the recap if you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading you might be interested in joining our in-depth bible studies where we model our version of inductive bible study You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.